Yeah, so for the past uh, couple of weeks, I've been saying something to you, and what I've been saying is something that I deeply believe. What I deeply believe about every one of you is that you are magnificent. You are our magnificent. You know, just the way you are. That every single one of you is magnificent. It's really hard to describe the level of gratitude that Karen and I have to God for you. It's really hard to put into words. At the core, at the core of who you are, is something that's quite magnificent. And you know, uh, you might be wondering, how can you say that with so much confidence, dude? You don't even know me. I can say it with such confidence because the Bible says that you are created in the image of God. You are created in the image of God. That's what the Bible says. We're going with the Bible thing, right? Hello? We have to agree on something. We have to have somewhere to stand, Rhea. We're going with the Bible thing. We're saying the Bible is true. No, we don't understand all of it. We don't do all of it. But we believe it. And the Bible says right in the very beginning, in the image of God, he created them. And he looked at us and he said, that's good. That's good. So that just because you were created, you bear inside you somewhere the image of God. Now, I realize that the generations of original sin that have all occurred from the Garden of Eden until now, I realize that that has had its impact on that image. But nonetheless, God did something in you in creation so you still have the image of God. I realize what sin has done, but have you heard that God has made a remedy for that through His Son, Jesus Christ? A perfect remedy. So because you were created in the image of God, somehow you bear the seeds of magnificence. And we evenly bear them. It's, since we were each created equally in the image of God, one isn't more magnificent than another. We each bear the same image. And it's not even something that we can get arrogant about because we didn't have anything to do with it. It's part of your created nature. We can't take credit for it. So embracing the truth of Scripture that we are created in the image of God does not create pride and arrogance, but it creates a profound humility, doesn't it? It's like, are you serious? I mean, how many of you are thinking, can this really be true? I'm created in the image of God. It's how you were made. The syllogism goes something like this. Here's the major premise. God is magnificent. True? God is magnificent. That's the major premise. The minor premise is you are created in the image of God. The conclusion is, therefore, 
you are magnificent. Well, today what I'd like to do is talk for a few minutes about how we can, how I believe we can tap into the magnificence that God has sown in us. I mean, how many of you like me have days you ain't feeling so magnificent? I can't see anybody, but I'm assuming you're, some of my hands are raised. <laughs> so how do we tap into that? How do we begin to, like, actualize that magnificence? How do we activate it? It all begins with a very important event. And it's an event that we need to fully enter into to really activate the seeds of the magnificence of God in us. It all become, begins with a very important event, and that, that event is called redemption. Or sometimes we call it conversion. Or getting saved. Gotta say saved. Or born again, as the Bible also describes it. But it's that profound, authentic encounter you have with God through His Spirit where you come to the place of authentically and fully inviting Jesus Christ to come into your life as your Savior and also as your Lord to take over the ship. And I'm not talking about sort of the religious aspect of it. As you're 12, you ought to be baptized by now. I'm not talking about checking the card. I'm not talking about guys, you know, finally just doing it so your wife will get off your back. I'm not talking about the Bible thumper in your family that says, you've got to do it. Okay, I'll do it if you'll shut up. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about an authentic encounter with the living God through His Son, Jesus, where you know you've come to the place of saying, I, I, I realize that I am, I am handicapped by sin. Come, Lord Jesus, and cancel my sin. This is redemption. This is the thing this is the thing that activates the image of God inside of you. This is, the, this is why God wants to save us, I believe, with all of my heart. The reason he wants to save us is because he made you in his image, and you bear somewhere in your spirit, somewhere in your, in your person, you bear a piece of the image of God, and God wants it back, and you get to come along for the ride. And so he's very interested in saving us. So much happens when we come to Christ. Anybody get to the 2 Corinthians thing where it says in chapter 5, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a what? Does anybody know this? He's a new creation. If anyone is in Christ. So you've, you've experienced that redemptive event. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Anybody know the rest of it? The old has gone, the new has come. The old has gone. Done. The new has come. There's so much that happens there. And it's in that moment, it's in that moment that I believe that fragment of the image of God with which you were born is brought to life and begins to grow, begins to thrive, begins to mess up your life, yeah? Begins to change all the price tags. <laughs> yeah, amen. I think there are three church words everybody should know. We don't use a lot of church words here. But there are three church words I think that are worth mentioning this morning when it comes to this whole redemptive event. And the first one is regeneration. 
The word regeneration is a word that we use to describe what happens when we come to Christ. That we're dead and he regenerates us. Boom. He regenerates us. Shane, he puts the paddles on, goes clear, ka-thunk! And you're regenerated, you come to life, your heart beats. I think the other word we should know is a word called justification. Justification. And that's part of what happens at the redemptive event is that we're justified before God because of Jesus and his shed blood, his perfect sacrifice. We're justified before God. I mean, how many of you like me know that we got nothing to stand on in the presence of the Lord, right? I mean, in terms of our own justification, I have nothing. But because of Jesus and what he did, all my sins, the Bible says, are canceled out. It says, it says in 2 Corinthians 5, it says, as though he were not counting our sins against us. I don't count. That's what the Bible says. We're going with the Bible, right? Okay, just so we're clear, we're sticking with the Bible. So we're justified before God because of Jesus that the justice of God is perfectly met through the shed blood of Jesus. Because some of you are going, it doesn't make sense that I just get to ask Jesus in and I'm saved. That's not a just thing. I mean, I deserve to die for my sins, right? I deserve. Jesus bore the weight of our sin so that the justice of God can be perfectly satisfied. So that we're justified third church word I think maybe would be good for you to think about today is sanctification. Sanctification. And what that is, the the way I understand the Bible is, is this that lifelong process, that journey we're on where we're being transformed more and more into the image of Christ. Sanctification. Doesn't happen all at once. We kind of go in fits and starts, right? But that as we look over our shoulder in the long haul, we go, yeah, I'm still struggling with this element of sin in my life, but look at what I'm not struggling with. Look what the Lord has done, right? Yeah. That's sanctification. Why do I throw those words out this morning? Because it's part of how you activate the image of God, the magnificence inside of you. You come to that redemptive event, and you are regenerated. Ka-tum. You felt that, did you? A little bit? Yeah. <laughs> And you're justified. And you get to call him Abba now. Instead of, oh, most infinite, holy Jehovah God, we beseech thee, I can't look at you. The Bible says in Romans, it says, God didn't give us a spirit of slavery, but a spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. And then that whole process of sanctification, that's the image of God growing in you. How many of you, you know, you struggle with, man, am I ever going to get better at this? No, you're not. So let the Holy Spirit live in you and take over. More of him, less of you. That's sanctification. But the redemptive event is what activates the basic image of God in you. Remember last week I compared us to a computer and the BIOS, the basic in and out system on a computer I so cleverly called the BIOG, the basic image. Am I clever or why? Hello? If nothing else, I'm clever. Ah, thank you. BIOG, the basic image of God inside of us. That's the thing that lies at the core of who we are, the basic image of God. And 
It's the redemption. It's the knowing coming to Christ that wakes it up, that calls it out of its latency. You know, you're born with the image of God, and it's in there. And it's waiting to be activated and called out of its dormancy by Christ and his blood and his power and the Holy Spirit and the word living inside of you. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. If you have a Bible. Now you can listen up. I don't have it on this screen for you. I didn't have a very productive week this week. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. I'd like you to see what's happening here and see if you can catch the fascinating verb tense that occurs as I read this to you. So Paul's talking to the Ephesians. These are people like you. They're Christians who happen to live in the city of Ephesus. That's why they're called Ephesians. And he starts by saying, isn't it great to be saved? I mean, God has just poured out every spiritual blessing on us, and he's poured out the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that he used in raising Christ from the dead. I mean, he said, isn't this great? And then he takes a little time to contrast it to what they used to be. And he says, as for you... (laughs) As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were what? Dead. Dead. In your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. You see, part of the problem of being born into the original sin world is that we're born with a natural allegiance to the wrong ruler. We're born with a natural allegiance to Satan. And a preoccupation with the gratification of our own desires. And he says in verse 3, all of us also lived among them at one time. He's saying, he's not saying, I'm not, I'm not just telling you guys, it's all of us. This is a universal condition. Gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following his desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of gra- God's wrath, or objects of wrath. The reality is, God has a responsibility to pour out his wrath on sin. Why? Because he's holy. He's righteous. He's perfect. And so he has a responsibility to himself and his perfection to pour out wrath on sin. So that's coming. Now the good news is, is that Jesus Christ voluntarily went on the cross to take on the wrath of the Father and to provide his blood as a payment for our sin. So that's the good news. But the bad news is, is before the redemptive event, we live as objects of God's wrath. That's what it says in the Bible, and we're going with the Bible thing, right? We're still doing that. Verse 4, scene changes, but because of his great love for us, because of his what? Because of his obligation, oh, I made the things, now I got to save them. No, but because of his great love for us. Why does God love us so much? Because you bear his image. He has an obligation to love himself. Does the Bible say God is love? God is love, that the essence and substance of God is love. So he has an obligation to love himself. Now, we can't because we're not perfect, but he is, so he can. And in you, Mr. D, is the image of God. And he loves himself in you. And he loves you. And maybe the first thing that comes to mind is, yeah, but what about all my sin? 
what about the package I'm offering to God? What about this vessel that houses this image? Well, let's read on and see what happens. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, boy, that's good, isn't it? How much in mercy? Rich. God is wealthy in mercy. Gotta love that. Hello? Thank you. Whoever said that, you may go. Because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Made. Done. Past tense. Made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. There you go. He made you alive. When you, when you came to Christ that authenticated the Father's desire for you to make you alive. And he did the work. It's by grace you have been saved. And God raised, past tense, raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Not that God is going to make you alive and not that God is going to raise you up. It's done. We're going with the Bible thing. In order that in the coming ages, okay, we have a future here. In the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Imagine that. Imagine that in the coming ages, when we see who's in heaven, and they see you, that's going to be an expression of his incomparable kindness and grace. Is it not? It's going to be a big day. I think you'll sing, look what the Lord has done with a whole new fervor then. Verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. God is so interested in rescuing his image in you that he'll even give you the faith that you need to be saved. (laughs) Wow. Not by works so that no one can boast. Shane, you can't run fast enough, you can't jump high enough, you can't be good enough. To get any more approval from God than you've already got through his son Jesus. When he says, I want you to be one of my sons too. Now, here's the verb switch. Verse 10, for we are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. To do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. For we are now God's workmanship. So you were, you were, you were dead, you were this, you were that. And then, but God, who is rich in mercy, came and he made you alive. He raised you up so that now you are God's workmanship. So the redemptive moment when you come to Christ authenticates and activates that, that image of God inside of you begins to grow and you begin to tap into your magnificence, which really wasn't your own in the beginning. It's the image of God living in you. And you'll begin to uncover your magnificence when you begin to live from this rather than for it. You know, we're such a productive, industrious people, and we're so independent, which certainly has its plus sides until we come to God and think, I'm going to work this up for you, God, and you're going to have to let me in. And no, I don't need any help. I got this. I got this. How well is that working out so far? And the gospel flips the whole thing on its head and says, no, you're, you don't have anything to bring. You don't have anything to bring. But that's okay, because I paid the way. Just come. 
just come. Authentically, fully enter into relationship with my son Jesus and the power of his Holy Spirit, and I will make the changes in you. When you begin to live from that, from that place of identity, then your magnificence begins to, begins to bear fruit. Does that make sense? Instead of for it. You see, one of the things I think you need to know about Jesus, in my opinion, humble as it is, is that of all that Jesus is, one of the things, he, he's an identity thief. Because when you come to Christ, he takes your identity. But that's good. He takes it and he nails it to the cross. And the Bible says he kills us in Romans chapter 6. He, we're dead to it. And then he gives you his identity. He gives you his identity. When you begin living from his identity, then the magnificence begins to blossom. You know, I mentioned that uh, in a few weeks we're going to be starting a Wednesday night service here called Celebrate Recovery, which is a big program that's in many, many churches around the world. And it was founded by the Saddleback Valley Church out in California 20 years ago. And one of the things I'm so excited about Celebrate Recovery is, that, is the distinction that it makes about identity. And, and Celebrate Recovery is really for anybody who's struggling with any kind of life-controlling habit. It's not necessarily chemical addictions or anything like that. It can be really anything, any life-controlling habit that you want help with. No Wednesday night services for that. Any hurt you have. Any, they call it hurts, habits, and hang-ups. One of the things that I love so much about it is the way that they deal with identity. And I have long respected the varieties of 12-step programs that exist out there and and I, I really don't mean anything negative in making this distinction, just, just to make the distinction, because I have great respect for these 12-step programs and many of you who are living examples of recovery from working the steps and doing that thing. And I applaud you and encourage you to continue to do that. One of the things I see in Celebrate Recovery that's such, such uh, a plus for us is that, like, in a 12-step program, let's say it has to do with alcoholism, I would stand up and say something along the line of, hi, my name's Tom, and I'm an alcoholic. Okay, I understand owning the issue. I get that. And I would say that on day one, and I would say that after a week of recovery, and I would say that after a month of recovery. Hi, my name's Tom, and I'm an alcoholic. And I would say that after a year, and after 20 years of sobriety, after a lifetime of sobriety, with my last breath, I would say, hi, my name's Tom, and I'm an alcoholic. And the distinction that Celebrate Recovery makes, in addition to inviting Jesus Christ and the power of his Holy Spirit to come in and make the changes, is when you stand up to talk, you say, hi, my name's Tom, and I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I struggle with alcoholism. See the difference? You see, I am a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I struggle with alcoholism, or I struggle with gambling. I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and I struggle with sexual addiction. I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and I struggle with overeating. I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and I struggle with gossip and critical spirit. I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and I struggle with. Rick Warren, famous pastor, I was watching a video of his and he starts this big meeting by saying, Hi, my name's Rick Warren and I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ who struggles with everything. 
but he's a believer. And it's about living from that place of identity. Because the key to uncovering your magnificence is to begin to live from your new identity instead of trying to work for it. The Bible says we are God's workmanship, not we're going to be God's workmanship, not play your cards right, work really hard, and maybe God will consider you as his workmanship. But it says because of Christ, because God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions, therefore we are God's workmanship. I think that's a pretty magnificent thing, don't you? And your magnificence is founded on what Christ has already done. Do you believe it? It's hard, isn't it? Some of you have been so brutalized by the lie of the enemy for so long, it's really hard to believe that you're created in the image of God. You see nothing there to support that. Do you believe you're created in the image of God? Do you believe you're recreated in Christ? That actually something happened to you? And do you believe you bear the seeds of magnificence? Oh, that's so hard. I just stink at this so much. I know, me too. I think that the question I want to leave you with is, would you say that you have fully entered into the redemptive experience? I mean fully, y'all in, so that you're believing what this says about you like you're created and recreated for magnificence. You fully entered in. I think there's a couple ways to go to an event, right? I mean, it can be anything. It can be a sporting event. It can be a rock concert. And you can kind of go and you can go, okay, there we go. Or you can throw yourself into it, right? And price of admission is the same either way, isn't it? Well, let me ask you this. When it comes to Christ and this whole proposition of the kingdom of God living in you and all this stuff that we talk about around here, right, have you fully entered into that? Here's how you'll know. Are you overcome by the Father's love for you? You can't live in his house without knowing how much he loves you. I know, just the way you are. And are you living from that place of fully forgiven, authenticated believer in Jesus Christ? Or are you struggling every day to try to do something on your own steam to prove that it maybe is true? I want to invite you to come for prayer if you'd like to. If you're a person here who would just sees yourself, can you dialing into that and you're going, I'm hearing that fully entered into thing and I want to go all the way in. And if you're here and you hear about this, what redemptive experience, redemptive event, and you're ready and you just say, I want to ask Christ into my life, I want to invite you to come. If you're here a person who characterizes yourself as somebody who's like working really hard to make all this happen and kind of prop up your walk with Jesus and feels more like smoke and mirrors than reality and you want to enter in, I want you to come up. But if you're a person here at all who wants to fully enter in 
to this redemptive experience with Jesus. And in your own determination, I can't look at you and tell you, in your own determination, you feel like, I don't really think I've come all that way. I want you to come. So why don't you get up from where you are and just come on up. You can do whatever you want when you get here. You can stand, you can kneel, you can whatever is in your heart. Hi, James. Okay. Just come on up. Just love you guys so much. Just want to help you with this. Hi, Tim. Just come on up. I just want to say I want to I want to come in you know, maybe it's the first time, maybe it's not. It's, but you're just sensing that there's... Thank you, Lord. I don't think you should ever let a bald-headed preacher make you doubt your salvation. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just saying if you're feeling like, yeah, this is, this is landing, Tom. I think uh, it's a day for me to come the rest of the distance. Come on up. You can still come. <laughs> hey, be sure to bring your sin with you. Don't leave that at the ta- at the seat, okay? Bring it all. Don't don't bring the sanitized version of yourself up. Bring it all. Okay. Some of you are here because you believe it's true. Some of you are here because you desperately want to believe it's true. That's good. Just come. Just let God do the work inside you.